welcome Dr. Vivian Robinson. She is the Distinguished Professor Emeritus at the University of Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, she's also the director of Vivian Robinson Consulting Limited. And the author of the book that we're talking about today is Reduce Change to Increase Improvement. And it's part of the Corwin Impact Leadership Series. So uh, welcome, Dr. Robinson. Thank you, Matt. It's lovely to be speaking with you. And I picked up your book at a conference and um, I was really interested in your title. It's, it's Reduce Change to Increase Improvement. Yes. It's an interesting frame. And I was just curious, yes. um, change and improvement can be sometimes synonymous. And could you just explain the distinction and, and why it became the topic of your book? Well, it became the topic of my book, Matt, because in my work in, with school leaders and in school improvement, I've seen too much change that has not led to improvement. And you'll be familiar with the, um, the cycles of reform that happen in our schools, um, one set of reforms after another that um, have patchy results at best. So, uh, and I think that that's very debilitating um, for the effort, energy, and motivation of teachers and leaders, but it's also not serving our students well because the problems that these reforms were designed to solve persist. And, and the one that I'm thinking of in particular is the equity problem. Change is simply the process of doing something different. That's all change means, that we're doing something different. The thing we're doing different could be the same or worse or better than what happened before. Improve, if we shoot for improvement rather than change, it means right from the outset, we have to say, what's wrong with the status quo? Okay, and many leaders bring in changes without saying why teachers need to be going through all the hassle of that. So we need to, if we're talking about improving, we need to be upfront right from the beginning about the fact that we want things to be better. Doesn't mean they're terrible now, but they have to be better. Um, and that's usually driven by student results, um, social outcomes, academic outcomes. And then if we're talking about improvement, we better have a jolly good idea about why what we're proposing is going to be better because it takes a lot of time, money, and effort. So I, want to, I, want, I wanted to encourage leaders to be more forthright in their intention, more honest, and more ambitious. They're not interested in change, or they shouldn't be. They should be interested in improvement. That sounds great and i think the way you frame it and i read it but just hearing it again just helps me remind myself of the distinction as i prepare for a new school year too so so thank you for explaining that and in your book you cited a previous meta-analysis that you were involved in and thinking about change you noted that the one leadership practice leading teacher learning and development had the largest impact on student outcomes and what about this practice is so powerful for student learning well, I think there's a number of reasons. And when I ask uh, leaders uh, why they think it, and teachers, why they think it's so powerful, they tend to say um, because of the symbolic 
importance of the if the leader can spend time being involved with the professional learning then that sends a very powerful symbolic message to teachers about how it must be important and that that's true um, but i actually think that there are other reasons um, as well one of the most powerful ways a leader can gain influence with teachers is through helping them solve their problems of teaching and learning. And the more leaders know, the more they themselves learn, the more able they are to help teachers solve their classroom problems. And that increases the sphere and intensity of influence that leaders have over the teachers. So teachers come to them um, and seek help and they learn from the leader or with the leader together with the leader so that's a second reason the third reason is that if we're going to succeed in solving the equity problems that bedevil all of us um, then that's hard work lots of very smart and dedicated people have failed to solve those problems before us and the reason why we are not very good at solving them is because we don't have sufficiently specialist knowledge. If you want to improve um, maths problem solving uh, or ling literacy at, at secondary level, science literacy, for example, that's a very specialist area. And I think we underestimate how much we need to learn in order to solve those problems. Most of the difficulty is not about teacher will, it's about teacher capability, teacher and leader capability. So a school culture, which has a culture of dedication to professional learning, not as a menu of opportunities, that's, that's hopeless, but as professional learning to solve problems that are anchored in student outcomes, that is a powerful school culture mm. and it's a powerful way of leading. Yeah, when I speak with my teachers, when I visit classrooms, I, it would be hard for me to have a conversation with them without having that same set of knowledge and, and skill development that, you know, we're both trying to go through. Yes, yes. And you said both trying to go through, Matt, and I think that's the point, especially at secondary level. I'm or even, even at primary, I'm not asking leaders to know everything. That would be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We're not going back to heroic leadership. Um, but I am, am asking them to lead a very focused, intense, collaborative learning process um, where people stick at it until the student outcome problem is solved. Yeah, sticking at it, that, that is part of it too, is committing to it long-term and, and having that patience to follow yeah. through. I highlighted one quote from your book that kind of relates to that too and, and engaging teachers in those conversations you said careful inquiry into teachers theory of action gives leaders insight into teachers concerns and hence access to the levels of change and could you just say more about that and what this inquiry might look like 
Yes, um, and in the book, I've got transcripts of the actual conversations to uh, illustrate what, it, what you actually say and think in order to have these conversations. But, yeah. but the starting point for, the, for leaders' conversations with teachers should be the experience or outcomes of students. That's your starting point. So you know, for example, that um, these particular teachers, students are very good at maths fluency, but they're very um, limited in their maths problem solving, right? So your next, so you know that, that's your starting point. And this connects to your question about feedback as well. And then you, um, your next step is to investigate, inquire into what might the teachers of those students be doing and not doing? So that directs your inquiry, your observations with their, with their collaboration, of course, into their practices. How are they teaching maths in a way that might connect with the low scores in maths problem solving? Okay. So you then focus on that. You may need some specialist help in knowing what to look for when you go into that classroom. Um, and then you discover and how they're teaching. You summarize it. You get agreement that, with the teacher that, yes, that's how they're teaching. Now, normally, leaders stop at that point. But if they're doing a deep inquiry, they say, can you talk to me about why you're using so many quizzes and worksheets. Talk to me about why you're not using rich text. And then you will discover a gold mine of beliefs, fears, anxieties, prior experience, horrible experiences that that teacher will talk to you about. And when you can connect the teacher's beliefs with what they do and don't do and the outcomes for students, then you have knowledge of their theory of action. And boy, that's powerful because you know the causes of their practices. That's so critical too, to have that trust, I think, for them to be able to admit, you know, this is my concerns, these are my beliefs. Yeah, yeah. well, when we teach this in our leadership development courses, We've got videos that show how to do this in seven minutes. And the transcripts in the book are not no longer than that. Hmm. So it's about the leader's skill in inquiry, the leader's ability to say, look, I'm I I I really want to know why you're just using quizzes and worksheets. And I'm this is not a blame game uh, unless we can together talk about this and understand the barriers you've experienced, notice my language, the barriers you've experienced, then I can't suggest any way of helping you because I need to know what's important to you. Now that sentence, that sentence creates trust. Yeah. It's a very empathetic response, you know, and it yes. takes their perspective and I very yes. much appreciate that. But this is a you know, tough skill too. I mean, it's Yes. Something I've worked on, and and I, yeah. and I know in your book you talk about the two approaches that leaders take: the bypass versus the engagement. And, and why do leaders like myself at times tend to default to the former approach, the bypass, even when we know 
at some level that engagement with teachers thinking and actions are, are more effective. Yeah, well, um, there's a number of reasons. One is, is that your bosses, your superintendents, probably expect you to implement this reform, have this professional learning in your school, do this, fix this, fix that. Now, I don't know, Matt, what sort of school you run um, and, and what your situation is, but that happens to a lot of leaders. In other words, the fix-it mentality. And, and the fix-it mentality means that you see the results and then you immediately move to, well, what are we going to do that's different? What changes are we going to make? So that pressure um, leads leaders to bypass the theories of action of teachers. And it produces this churn of reform as teachers comply or not and um, still have their fears and anxieties about doing it and what's going to happen with their students and their classrooms unaddressed. Um, so that's one reason, the pressure to fix it. Another reason is the one you've just spoken about, which is that um, people are not very good at, at empathic inquiry, at actually discovering a theory of action and they and they believe that it's going to take a lot of time, which it doesn't. As I said, all our videos about how to do this are no longer than seven minutes. And that's a lot less time than um, pushing and pushing and pushing and getting nowhere. So that belief that it's going to take too long um, and then leaders fear that they're going to upset their teachers. Um, if, if they do causal inquiry at all, they will inquire and they will get responses about students' background and the previous year's teachers and things like that. And they will be very reluctant to say, well, actually, I wonder whether there's something that you're unwittingly doing or not doing in the class that maybe is contributing to this. I'm not saying it is, but let's explore that because we need all hypotheses on the table. And again, notice my language, hypotheses, all right? Now that takes one sentence to make that shift from talking about what's wrong with the students to raising the possibility about teaching in class. It's much more objective and um, evidence-driven, which can really help with the you know, having those conversations and yes. you know, keeping the, I guess the ego out of it is as much as possible. And I'm just being yeah. more evidence-based. Yes. Um, and we were uh, previously exchanging a, a conversation around how to effectively communicate feedback to teachers. And, and I appreciate you, you know, encouraging me to continue to expand on this uh, concept, but just, you, you've had some nice examples in here. Uh, any other suggestions just for getting started in this process um, and to experience some kind of quick success with it so they want to keep yeah. doing it? Yeah. Well, I think, I think rather than, again, making it very complicated, reform around, you know, instructional walks or um, buddy processes, I mean, you might eventually get to that, but, but if you keep it simple, Feedback should be anchored in what's happening for students. Okay, 
That's what it should be. So what's your purpose in giving feedback? Your purpose is to help the teacher do a better job for particular students. That's its purpose. It's not surveillance. It's not compliance. It's not checking up. It's not because the state requires a principal to make so many visits a, 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 a term or a semester to, to every teacher's classroom. It's because you're there. It's because you and the teacher examining your impact on students. So if you've got students that are, that are got a poor relationship with a teacher, then your feedback to that teacher, then you, you start negotiating a process of trying to figure out why that is. And you direct your feedback towards investigating that. Now, often that's not about observing in the class. That might be about talking with the student, either together or separately or both. So the first, the first step is that the teacher and you agree there is a student problem to be solved. And I don't mean a problem with the student. I mean a problem in the interaction between the school and the student or the teacher and the student or the way the subject is being taught and the student. That's the starting point. That's the purpose. And that builds common ground and trust. And then together you're investigating What's the cause of that problem? And the feedback is about that based on your evidence. Again, it's not I'm coming in with a checklist or a protocol and I'm going to go through the protocol and give you feedback because that's the protocol. It just seems like a more responsive approach to yes. and a grounded approach to the actual classroom, the actual problem yeah. or practice they're trying to solve. Yes. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I, I enjoyed your book. I, I appreciate that it was just a shade over 100 pages as a busy principal. That was <laughs> wonderful. Um, yeah. But where can we learn more about just um, your resources um, that uh, leaders um, could uh, take advantage of? There's a previous book. You talked about the meta-analysis that had shown that um, the, the leading profe teacher professional learning was a very powerful form of leadership in terms of its impact on the students of, of, of the teachers who are participating in the professional learning. And that's all written up in my 2011 book, Student-Centered Leadership. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's some stuff. Now, all the professional development work that we're doing is um, commercial. And if you want to be part of that or to talk about that, um, you'd probably need to do that in partnership with your district. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Robinson. You're welcome, Matt.